Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources to remind you you don't mom alone. You're listening to the second week of our Summer of Mentorship. In this episode, which originally aired in April of 2017, it was episode 159, and I chatted with Lisa Jo Baker about healing friendship wounds. I think often in friendships, we end up taking on baggage that's not ever intended to be ours. And we own that like a boss, man. We take all (laughs) stuff. And then at the end of like, you know, a couple of months, you're like, why do I feel so terrible? (laughs) Why is it so hard? A lot of times friendship is about understanding what parts are yours to own and what parts are not. And I've had to learn that in loving our friends, like, Really loving them means loving them the way they are. I, I kind of think of this as the equivalent of not trying to stuff them into skinny jeans. Yeah. Put them into some kind of shape, size, or way of interacting that suits us, but might not be comfortable for them. So giving friendships room to breathe is really important, as, as well as understanding where we come from so that we can interact with our friends in a way that's healthy for both of us. I understand that oftentimes I'm asking you guys to enter into community, to be in relationship, and that's a painful request because you have friendship wounds. Most of us don't leave this earth unscathed when it comes to relationships. Well, I adore Lisa Jo Baker. This was the second time she'd come on the show. Not only do I love her accent, but she's very insightful. And so she talks through our fears and friendship, the new girl experience, and to ignore these cool kid lies, how to heal from friendship wounds, how to turn to Jesus, how to not blame social media, how to survive a friendship breakup, and to hold on to hope of reconciliation, knowing when it's time to let go. All of that in this week's episode. And stick around at the end, I have a special giveaway for you of her newest book, The Middle Matters, Why That Extraordinary Life Looks Really Good on You. And it releases tomorrow, July 23rd. But first, I have a question for you. Have you ever felt like you want to plant the seeds of faith in your children's heart, but you don't know how? You need something simple and easy that you can trust? Well, you're not alone. Thousands of women all over the world have felt the same way, and they're now cultivating the hearts of their little ones using the Write the Word for Kids Bible Journal from Cultivate What Matters, this Summer of Mentorship sponsor. Write the Word for Kids from Cultivate What Matters gets you right in the Bible with your little ones. And it's so simple. And oh my goodness, they're so cute. They just launched the Write the Word for Kids Fruit of the Spirit Journal. It has everything you loved about the first Write the Word for Kids with a new theme, including new fruit theme stickers. Your kids are going to love it. The Write the Word for Kids Bible Journal is all about planting seeds of God's Word deep in the heart of your child. And it's the perfect activity for them to enjoy alongside you in your own study and quiet time. Remember, they have write the word journals for mamas too. Okay, and I'm excited to tell you that the Cultivate team is offering Don't Mom Alone listeners an exclusive discount. Head to cultivatewhatmatters.com to order your write the word for kids journal today and get 10% off using the code Don't Mom Alone. That's Don't Mom Alone for 10% off your purchase at Cultivate What Matters. Dot com. All right, let's get to my chat with Lisa Joe. Here we go. Hey, Lisa Joe, welcome back to the God Center Mom podcast. I, it has been too long since been, I was with you, Heather. Almost too long, three friend. years. Y'all can go, go back to episode 21 if you want to hear us talk about motherhood and, and Lisa Joe's journey. But so good to have you back talking about friendship. So fun to be with you. Okay, in case people weren't hanging with me three years ago, 
let's have them all get to know your family a bit, your people. So just introduce them real quick to them. Well, last time I was on, I think I was in survival mode because my people were much younger. Yeah, we all were. <laughs> They're older now. I rediscovered what that thing called sleep is. So I have two boys and a girl, um, 11, nine, and nearly six this month. And um, they are great. They are very loud. They push push all my buttons and um, they are what Jesus uses to humble me on a regular basis. I have a very patient husband who's a professor and I get to work from home for the website encourage.me that I'm hoping your readers are familiar with. But if not, it is a place where we try to share our online everyday stories of what faith looks like just right there in the middle of the messy. And I remember from reading uh, your book, Surprised by Motherhood, how I felt like you just, you got humanity, like you knew how to (laughs) put it into words, these inner struggles we're having and your heart story and being in South Africa. And then you did it again with this, with friendship, because Sometimes, you know, we know it and we feel it, but I don't know how to put words to why it's messing up. And I don't know how to put words to that inner longing I have that I try to fill with social media. But I feel like, once again, you get it. Maybe it's that high empathy of your strength finder. I don't know. But you do <laughs> you do a great job. Just basically learning it the hard way is pretty right. much how I write my books, I think. <laughs> survive motherhood, you know, kind of go through all the mistakes. And then you feel like through that, you learn some things about it. And over the last seven years, I have had the just amazing privilege of working as the community manager at Encourage, this website that gathers women from all over the world. So basically, I've been able to have conversations with women about women and about friendship for the last seven years. And that's where this book came from. And the book is called Never Unfriended, because in our social media day and age, it's just so easy, right? To just we unfriend people with the swipe of a finger, we don't even have to have a conversation with them. It's just like, boom, you're dead to me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, really, truly. But I also feel like I'm friends with people that I wouldn't maybe be in real life. Right. Because, you know, maybe that old elementary friend and then I see what they're posting and I'm like, really? I don't know if we'd be buddies. I don't know. But maybe I shouldn't be so quick to unfriend them like you're saying. And and then the time that I spend there pulls away from my real people, my real face to face people. And I should just be clear. So the book isn't about how social media is the no, problem. No, 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 no. It's, it's just, it's just using saying. that term. Yeah. Yeah. You and I love social media and it's, you know, it's a neutral thing in and of itself, but it's how do we use it and how is it informing our friendship these days? Because I think, you know, I mean, you've got littles too. When they're at the playground, suddenly total stranger kids are like best friends within <laughs> seconds, you know, <laughs> This is my new best friend. He's coming to my birthday party. Right. In like seven months. Right. But there's a reason the moms are watching from different park benches. You know, it is harder as you get into the minivan driving years to navigate friendship and what it looks like. And now that I am a mom, I just realize for my kids, this is just a very important conversation. Like if they, you know, I want them to start getting it right younger than I did, you know, so that we can figure out what this whole friendship deal is all about and what it looks like and what it takes from us. And I just, the more I talk to women about it, the more I just think that fear seems to play a really large role in this conversation about grown up friendships. And it kind of, I wanted to unpack that, you know, like what is it that we're afraid of and what can we do about it? And then what can't we do about it? Cause that's what I've learned the hard way too. There are some things you can't change in friendships. There are some things you have to learn to accept. Yeah. And what do you, what do you think those fears are most in friendship? What do we fear most? 
I think that, you know, when I looked at the the biggest, there were three that really stood out to me. Like, what are we afraid of? And I think generally women, especially the older we get, we're afraid of being hurt again. You know, I think I call it a kind of friendship PTSD that we (laughs) Totally protecting ourselves. Yeah. Right. Right. The older you get, you don't just gain like pounds and gray hair. You gain, (laughs) you gain scars, I think from, from friendships you've navigated. And some of them have, you know, grown you and stretched you in all the best ways. And some of, some of them are just not a good fit and have really hurt maybe both of you. And Mm -hmm. so we bring all of that with us each time we start a new friendship. So I think that's a legitimate fear. I mean, I think that's a real thing. Friendship PTSD. I think, um, you know, this is a social media term, FOMO, fear of missing. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. think it existed long before oh, yeah. Instagram. I mean, honestly, there's Eve in the Garden of Eden, surrounded by everything she could ever want, saying, oh, wait, wait, is there something that God like excluded me from? Like, yeah. is there something I should still have? So, I mean, that's an age old, ancient fear that Satan basically just recycles, I feel like, over and over again and and highlights for us, particularly in a world now where we can kind of stare through other people's virtual windows and look at what they're doing and wish we had it, you know? So um, that's my second one. And then I think third, um, this idea, the fear of being the new girl or even the fear of including the new girl, Mm. like what does it look like? How do you, how do you enter? We, we move a lot. Like our societies are pretty transient these days. So there's always some new occasion where you're the new mom at a new school or you're at a new church or you're starting a new job or you've moved states again, that feeling of being the new girl. But then when you've lived in a place for a while, how do you keep integrating people into your circles? What does that look like? So yeah, those were the big fears that a lot of other fears managed to slither up and attach themselves to, you know, it's just as pretty as you imagine. That new girl. Let's talk about that a little bit. So, you know, I've, I've been both and Mm-hmm. I do think that there is a trickiness to once you're established, you think, well, my life's kind of full, so I don't right. really have room for more people and right. how you can miss out yourself right. on a beautiful person that could add a lot of value to your life. So right. what advice do you have for the person who's not including the new girl or afraid, you know, sure. I don't really have the space for this. Well, I think like for me, the new girl fear is also like kind of comes hand in hand with what I call like the cool kids fear, like mm. someone or the cool kids over there, like them and I'm not somehow, and I don't know how to include them. And we actually, <laughs> I've moved around quite a lot, but we lived in Northern Virginia for seven years and had this wonderful group of friends. They were so awesome. And then this new girl moved to the neighborhood. Her name is Bobby. And, um, so she was new, but she also was kind of like cool as how <laughs> I yeah. like 40 yeah. Heather. Yeah. And here I yeah. was like intimidated by this like, <laughs> new cool girl. Like I didn't know how to talk to her. And I felt like she didn't need to be friends with me. She had a lot going on and I had my stuff going on and we were getting ready to move to Maryland. And anyway, and, um, I just, you know, I had all these teenage thoughts like Bobby's so cool. Bobby's too cool to hang out with me. I don't know how to talk to Bobby. Like I've already got friends. Anyway, Bobby stopped by my house one day before picking kids up from school to ask me something. I don't even remember what, and we started talking and then she started sharing about like, they were having all these issues with their rental house and trouble she was having with her kid. And suddenly it occurred to me, I was like, Oh my goodness, Bobby is just like me, Hmm. you know? And if only I had taken the time to stop thinking about myself and think more about Bobby, I wasted all that time and we would have become friends sooner. And then I was so disappointed because I was moving and I had lost this chance to really go deeper with a woman who's awesome. Hmm. So I think that's what I would encourage people 
I think sometimes we're so busy thinking about ourselves, what I'm nervous about or what I've got going on or, you know, will she like me? Will she accept my invitation? And if we could just stop thinking about ourselves for a second and think about that other person, suddenly it frees up all this emotional, mental, spiritual room, right? To invite them in. Because when you focus on them, suddenly you see all the attractive qualities to reaching out and wanting to connect with them. So it's one of my biggest regrets that I waited so long to connect with the new girl, Bobby. And it was my loss. It was totally my loss. And when you talk about this fear or this, I'm not cool enough or this fear of rejection or, you know, putting yourself out there in the PS, oh my goodness, post-traumatic PTSD, um, get the right letters out there. So when you talk about all that, I also love that you talk about healing from past Mm -hmm. wounds. I'm really big into that lately. (laughs) Like a lot of inner healing prayer, crazy voodoo-y stuff. No, I'm just kidding. Like just going (laughs) back and really bringing it to God because we all have some friendship Mm -hmm. wound I could like four or five flooded into my mind as I was reading your book you know of Mm -hmm. specific times where you know the three thing the the girls coming in threes never works out never works out tricky in elementary school years um the circle thing the click thing where you're on the outside of the circle you know like you said just not being cool enough in general and the lie that we believe there or you even Mm -hmm. shared really vulnerably stories after your mother passed away and how Mm -hmm. your friendship's with grief, you know, how did they, how could they handle that? So talk to us a little about that healing process for the gal who says, yeah, I know I should be okay with inviting the new girl and I should get over my PTSD, but how, how do I get over that? Yeah. I mean, okay. So if there was a magic formula, I would give it to you. (laughs) A very wand. There's a wand of some kind. Um, I'll tell you this though. I think, um, not, I think I'm certain that, um, you know, Jesus says to us, I have come that they might have life and life to the full. He's come to give us a full life. Mm. And the thing about bitterness and unforgiveness is that it wants to eat away at your life. And the more you let it, the more your life isn't full anymore. It starts to drain away out of you. And so Honestly, as much as we wish other people would somehow just magically wake up to realize how bad they hurt us and come back and say sorry, in the real world, that very rarely happens. So what are we going to do about it? And I think we only have two choices. Number one, we can really sulk, the grown-up version of sulk, and feel bitter and hold on to that. Or... Number two, we can follow Jesus when he calls us out of the grave and he calls us by name into the light of forgiveness. It's the only way. And forgiveness really is about setting yourself free. That's what it is. Forgiveness is unwrapping all of that baggage that wants to drag you down into the pit. And um, as I was studying this, this is really interesting image that the apostle Paul uses when he teaches in scripture. And there's a verse he's talking about when he's talking about his wrestle with sin. And he talks about this body of death Hmm. that he's carrying around when he's talking about the law and his inability to live up to what's required of him and how his sin drags him down. And so this reference he uses to this body of death that's on him. I did research on that. It's pretty graphic. Yeah. Romans came up with the most unique ways of executing people, as we know, because, you know, our savior was crucified. But one of the other things they would do is that if a murder had occurred, they would take the corpse of the murdered person and strap it to the back of the murder. Okay. How charming is this that I'm sharing? (laughs) 
<laughs> and they were required to basically live with this corpse on their back until the rotting corpse infected them and they died. How awful is that, right? Wow. And that's the image Paul uses. And it's what struck me. I thought, you know, Satan would like nothing more than to strap every dead, failed, destructive relationship to our backs and have us carry it into every new meeting, every new, you know, um, women's outing, every book club, every Bible study, every Sunday school class. Here you come with your, you know, rotten corpse of failed friendship and bitterness, and it will basically eat you up from the from the outside in. And what Jesus is saying is, let me free you from that. And the way you do it is with forgiveness. And I love Beth Moore talks about how forgiveness won't be easy, but it will be necessary. And that it's one of the most courageous things we can do. And it's why the book starts with this chapter on forgiveness, because there's just no way, there's no way to walk forward into healthy friendship until we have cut off the dead baggage of anger and bitterness that we've been carrying around for a long time. So I, I assure you it won't be easy, but it is the most powerful act we can do is to, to, to exercise the will of forgiveness. And in, in doing it, I mean, Christ brings us back to life and we are able to enter into new relationships and forgive, forgive people we didn't think we could, which, and I'll just clarify here, forgiveness doesn't necessarily imply relationship or even friendship. Um, sometimes it will, maybe God will restore those relationships, but forgiveness is for our health, for our soul health so that we can walk forward and to create closure in our own minds, even if we don't have those conversations face to face with the person who hurt us. Good stuff. Really good. I'm not going to forget. I don't think anyone listening is going to forget (laughs) that dead body hanging on us. Um, But then also, I think there's the friendship baggage. But I love you, again, understanding humanity and processing how emotions and how those were handled in our homes growing up impact our friendship. So um, you kind of laid out how your dad was a more outwardly emotional person. And Mm -hmm. as the oldest and as, you know, after your mom had passed, like you took on all those emotions. So when you entered a highly emotive environment, you took on all those emotions and especially with the high empathy. And then it's interesting. I have another friend who came on the show recently talking about her struggle to absorb emotions, like even Mm -hmm. love. So if friends are showing her love or her family showing her love, she's not recognizing it or letting it in. And so how there's, how our growing up process can impact maybe that person that's our friend is completely whole and great and perfect. We have so much that we bring to the table of past relationships, even outside of friendships that impact how we receive their love or their angst or whatever they're coming at us with. I know. I call that mapping your friendship DNA. Mm. Because you're right. I mean, we all carry, usually unconsciously, um, all kinds of ways that our childhood and our early relationships have shaped how we are interacting with people in the future. So, yeah, my dad was like a very highly passionate kind of combustive personality and my mom balanced him out. So after my mom died, I unconsciously stepped into that role and yeah. con- you know, was constantly trying to balance everything out and keep everybody at peace. And But as an adult, 
you know, that, that can't be your role when you're dealing with other adults. They have to be responsible for their behavior too. And so I basically was really good at absorbing any stress in the atmosphere as if it was directed at me, you know, and feeling like, oh, now I need to fix this and I need to fix these people. But we are not called to fix people. We're called to love people. It's Christ's job to fix them. And so I think often in friendships, we end up taking on baggage that's not ever intended to be ours. And we own that like a boss, man. We take all <laughs> stuff. And we're like, and then at the end of like, you know, a couple of months, you're like, why do I feel so terrible? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Why is it so hard? Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot of times friendship is about understanding what, what parts are yours to own and what parts are not. And I've had to learn that in loving our friends, like really loving them means loving them the way they are not trying to, I, I kind of think of this as the equivalent of not trying to stuff them into skinny jeans, you know, like, <laughs> put them into some kind of shape, size, or way of interacting that suits us, but might not be comfortable for them. Mm, So giving friendships room to breathe is really important as as well as understanding where we come from so that we can interact with our friends in a way that's healthy for both of us. And it might be valuable to kind of write down your friendship journey. Like when I look back and these are my interactions, what's a theme that I'm seeing in general? Am I tending towards becoming a martyr and taking on people that are going through major things and I take all that on? Am I, do I have a system of friend, breakup, friend, breakup, friend, breakup, kind of charting that out and looking at consistent lies and patterns for that? Because one of the things I talk about in the book is, you know, it's interesting to say, often when we think about friendship, we think like, what can we change? What do I have to do differently? What can I do better? But part of what I had to realize is that there'll be some things we can't change. Like what can we change about friendships. And it's, it's a relief to recognize those things. And we really, we can't always have friendship our way. You know, that's a big thing that we can't change learning to accept people for who they are. And we can't expect other people to fill us up. I mean, that's a big one, I think, especially for, for me as a woman, I'm, I enjoy affirmation and, um, words of affirmation or friends who want to spend time with me. And sometimes I can become kind of like a, you know, like a binge eater when it comes to (laughs) encouragement and words of affirmation. I just like want to binge on it. And if I feel like I'm not getting enough, I can feel like, oh, there's something missing in my friendship. But really, like Jesus is the bread of life. He's the one we're supposed to fill up on. And so when I'm scrolling Instagram or Facebook looking for affirmation, as I'm sure you've never done from your bed. Never. Six in the morning, mm-hmm. ever, or... No idea what you're talking about, Lisa Joe. You're really messed up. I have no right. idea. I mean, it's just you. It's just you. Right. When yeah. I do that, I have to actually tell myself these days, Lisa Joe, you are binge eating like candy corn or cotton candy right now. Like none of this is real. This isn't substance. This will give you a stomach ache and a soul ache. This cannot fill you up. This is not the place to go for these insecurities. And the great thing about Jesus is that he is never tired of us needing more affirmation from him ever. Mm-hmm. He's like, just come. I will tell you over and over again, how much I love you, how I died for you, how I chase after you, how I name you, how I see you, how I own you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I have to turn off my cotton candy cravings and come and get like meat and potatoes from Christ who can actually fill me up. So that was a hard one. That's taken me a long time. And I'm not cured of that. Like for me, that's an ongoing process, constantly reminding myself when I'm in that kind of mindless zone, wait, 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 what are you doing? You're eating sugar. (laughs) You need to go get some bread of life. Well, I was uh, chatting with my life coach 
Yes, I know. Throw that in there. Um, Carrie Bailey. I don't know if you've heard, you know Carrie. But yeah. she was asking me this question. So when you go to social media, what is that filling for you? What is that doing for you? Ooh, good question. And where would you rather go? And I'm mm-hmm. like, uh, Jesus, I know, Jesus. <laughs> but this memory, you know, in that inner healing prayer process, God brought this memory to mind of me literally in junior high as the homeschool kid standing on the outside of a circle at youth mm-hmm. group. And when Jesus was invited into this memory, he took me by the hand. He led me out of the room, out of the building to this pond. I remember at our church in Indiana that had those cattails, you know, totally random, look like, like uh, corn dogs. And he just was showing me how much he loved them. And they're like totally awkward and weird looking and (laughs) how much he adored me and just wanted to be with me in that place. And, and, you know, yeah, I I just, that to me healed a portion, and like you said, not fixed, but a portion of when I'm finding myself mentally standing on the outside of that circle uh, online or wherever it is, mm-hmm. um, to turn to him and let him take me to where it's just he and I so that I can find mm-hmm. true rest and satisfaction and approval. Like you're saying, it's that's, so that's much more filling and like you said, meaty rather than candy. It's, that's such yeah, a good I- imagery. Mm, that's beautiful, Heather. I have chills just picturing that. And I, I think that is what he wants to do constantly with us. He yeah. is pursuing us and trying to get our attention. And the problem is if we won't look up and away, you know, and make eye contact with him because we're so busy trying to fill ourselves with something else, we miss it. We miss what he's trying to do because he actually is there. I um, It's interesting, you know, my dad, you know, I'm from South Africa. My dad's a doctor and he was actually um, a medical resident resident under the doctor that performed the very first open heart surgery in the world. Wow. Dr. Chris Barnard. So why am I telling you this? I'm going to give you another graphic metaphor. Um, (laughs) I I have to give a warning at the beginning of the show. If you have small children listening, please turn, put on your head earbuds. (laughs) My children have all heard this story. I love it. Um, so anyway, I grew up on these stories of heart transplants, like what that, you know, what it looks like, what it takes. And interestingly enough, it's not in fact the heart transplant itself. That's the most risky. You would think it would be, but in fact, it's the risk of infection afterwards, right? Mm -hmm. The host versus graft disease. Will the body accept this new heart? And as I was writing this book and studying scripture, I realized, you know, social media is not the problem. Instagram is not the problem. Facebook's not the problem. The problem is my heart. Like, My heart is so sinful and so self-obsessed and so insecure. And what I need is a new heart. I don't need to even fix this one. Like I need a brand new one. And I mean, scripture is very clear when it is first scripture first talks about there's nothing more deceitful than our heart. And then it talks about how Christ will put a new heart in you. And I just have loved that image that Christ performs a heart transplant on us. He gives us his own other centered, you know, beats with the passion for community and friendship heart, and he gives it to us. Mm -hmm. And then in order for that heart to take, I have to create an environment where my body will be receptive to that new organ. And so I have to get my obsession with myself out of what Tim Keller calls the hallowed places. You know, in the Lord's Mm -hmm. Prayer, we say, hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? It means to bring all your worship to something. And you, God-centered mom, (laughs) there you go. The podcast, see how I'm doing that for you and bringing Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. But he challenges us what is in that hallowed place. And so I have come to learn my new Jesus heart cannot beat and will not take if I'm there, if it's about me and my feelings and what I want and my entitlement and what I didn't get. But 
If I can demote myself and I can bring the Holy Spirit into that hallowed place and use his eyes and ask him for his feelings toward other people, then my new Jesus heart can beat a drumbeat in me that will be louder than the call of social media or Instagram or what I think I'm not included in. Mm. All the praise hands. Doing <laughs> worship here. Doing worship on the God's Inner Mom podcast. Um, yes, absolutely. And for the gal listening who you know, all these conversations about wounds and forgiveness and baggage and background. Yes. The answer is go to Jesus, like let him do the surgery, let the Holy spirit work, let the Holy spirit heal because then the Holy spirit will give you the words. That fruit that we talk about is not a forced fruit. It's can't, you can't make fruit grow on a tree. It just grows. And so uh, I love all of that. All right. Let's talk for a second, a second as long as we want about how to survive <laughs> a friendship, <laughs> how to survive a friendship breakup, because the reality is even with the healing, even with, you know, us bringing a whole self to the situation, things happen and friendships break up. So talk to us about that. Do you share some of your friendship breakup stories in the book? Yeah, I do share some of them. You know, I think the reality let me start by saying this. The book is called Never Unfriended, not as a promise that you'll never be unfriended by the friends in your life, but as the assurance that Christ promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is the one friend who will never leave us. But because we live in a broken world with broken people, um, we are inevitably going to have places in our lives where unfortunately we aren't able to reconcile a friendship. And in the past, I've thought of that as a failure, you know, like that is such a failure and there's such shame attached to it. But when you look at scripture, Jesus himself, the perfect God man was betrayed by one of his closest circle of 12. Yeah. You know, yeah. Judas was there. And I, in that moment in the garden, when Jesus calls Judas friend, he says it without a trace of irony and he, Judas kisses him. And so cheek to cheek, eye to eye, Jesus calls him friend in that act of betrayal. And Judas is faced to see himself and, you know, forced to see himself in Christ's face and what he's doing. And so there's Jesus, you know, the ultimate friendship breakup happens in that moment. Um, but what we forget on that night is that Peter also betrayed Jesus that night. Mm. Two of Jesus's closest friends had very similar acts of betrayal. Um, and the difference though, is that one of them believed that Jesus could forgive him and one of them didn't and exercised his own self-judgment. And I've thought about these two men a lot as I think about what does friendship mean for us? What does it look like? And I, what's really interesting is when you study the Gospels, Jesus treated both of those men with real compassion in the moment of their betrayal. The look that Jesus gives Peter out the window as Peter denies him is the same word that he's used in other places to describe a real a look of compassion or acceptance. So where am I going with this? Simply to acknowledge that if the God man himself could not make every friendship work, that it's okay for us to recognize that sometimes there are going to be friendships that just don't work as much as we want them to. Mm -hmm. And that we don't have to bear a deep shame from that. We don't have to bear a deep burden of guilt. But I think what we do have to do is keep the door unlocked. Because I think what happens sometimes is when friendships go bad, there's a tendency to want to slam and lock and bolt the door and kind of be like, and now we're done forever. <laughs> but I think 
Um, the reason there was restoration between Jesus and Peter is that the door was not locked ever, right? There was room for restoration. And that doesn't mean it will come necessarily. But what can we do that even in the wake of a very difficult friendship, how can we continue to love that person from afar, to pray blessing into their life, to be committed to their good? And we can do all of those things without saying it to the person, because we're responsible for our own thoughts before the Lord. So I think that that kind of brokenness and those breakups are part, a real part of what life looks like. We see it in Jesus's life. We see it in the apostles. You know, um, there's big disagreement between Paul and Barnabas about whether they should travel with Mark and such a big disagreement. They split up, you know, they'd been traveling together all this time. But then later on in the in the letters, we see Paul reference the fact that Mark is with him. So it's really interesting to see that even in those early apostles, there were friendship tensions that then reconciled. So I think for me, it's been learning to keep a posture of reconciliation that's open, but without feeling the obligation to force a friendship you know, to keep moving in a certain direction when clearly it can't. And I think I'll end with this. I know I'm rambling. I think as Christian women, we suffer from the disease of politeness. Mm -hmm. We feel like we are, we're obliged to constantly make things right or fix things or chase after people. But I do think that there is space in a friendship when we see it has become too unhealthy for, for each of us to keep growing toward Christ. If we find ourselves growing away from him in the sense that we are experiencing anger or comparison or jealousy or competition or bitterness, none of those are the fruit of the spirit. So a friendship that's only breeding those things cannot possibly be a healthy friendship. And so creating space for the Holy Spirit to step back in. So for me, it's sometimes been learned that if I step back, I create more space for the spirit to step in and allow him to do that work. You know, at the end of the day, that isn't my job. It's not my responsibility. My job is to love the best I can. And, and if that is not bearing fruit, to step back so that the Holy Spirit can come and do his job because he is much, much better at it than me. I love everything you just said. And the idea that God is doing something in that other person, the other half of the friendship, and in you, and that a space, a breakup, um, maybe for a time, maybe forever, but to allow no shame or guilt to settle in, no condemnation to settle in to that broken place, and to recognize, you know, maybe it's one friend is overly relying on the other, not relying on God, and he needs that to happen, just like with Peter, where he was doing something in Peter's heart, for in his faith walk, um, and then, you know, I think even with the missionaries you talked about, the apostles, that he wanted the gospel to spread further. So he needed a breakup so that the gospel could spread further. Even, you know, there's a purpose beyond us. And to, if we truly feel like God's saying this isn't right right now, to trust him, to not yeah. overly cling to it or to try to make it right, like you said, and try to fix when we, we shouldn't be fixing, letting God fix that person and there's own timing and Again, in, in this society of fast and quick, and <laughs> we can quickly unfriend, but we can, you know, we want a quick fix, recognizing that this is a long haul sanctification process and um, to trust him with that, but not like you said, to lock the door. I like that. And I think, you know, Jesus was called a man of sorrows, and that's mm -hmm. helped me too. Like he, man, he was scarred in every possible way on his body. And I'm sure his heart was just crisscrossed with scars. And he constantly had people, his own people from his own hometown, you know, disparaging and looking down and criticizing and turning their backs. And so 
I think it's honest to recognize how painful those breakups are. Yeah. They're yeah. very hard, very hard. And I have found those kind of breakups to be some of the most painful experiences of my adult life. I'll just, you know, for the woman who's going through it now, listen, I don't want to over-spiritualize it. It's just very hard sometimes. And I think, especially when you're used to being close to someone and suddenly that's gone, it's very lonely too. Mm -hmm. But I do think we... We follow a God who says, I've come to make all things new. And he does. And I, I think the discipline of waiting and is a good one for those of us who are in these sort of seasons to see what will God do? How will he make this new? Because if he promises to do it, he will. And sometimes it might be through reconciliation. And I've heard amazing stories from women. I One of the women I talked to told me for four years, this friendship that was so close was broken, you know, but four years later, God restored it. So there's just, there is a sense of hope, but in other cases, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he calls us to separate stories. And I think one of the things we we struggle figuring out as Christian women is Roman talks about, Romans talk about bear one another's burdens. The problem with that verse is when you go and look at it, what it's talking about, it's not saying bear one another's passive aggression and bitterness and hostility and, you know, all this host of unhealthy behaviors. It's not saying put up with anything and everything. In fact, what it's talking about is to bear one another's, you know, come alongside and hold each other morally responsible for what Christ has called us to do and that we're accountable to each other. Um, but we are also given something of our own to carry on behalf of the Lord that is part of our calling to fulfill for him. And bearing one another's burdens is not the same as being guilted into one another's yeah. <laughs> of aggressive friendship or codependency or, you know, those things are not healthy. And I think Part of being Christ-like is recognizing when we need to build safe boundaries. And those don't make us impolite. I think they make us wise as friends. And so I don't think we should let politeness walk us way beyond the safety of a relationship that Christ may be saying is not anymore building you up or bearing fruit. That's good advice, Miss Lisa Joe. And this book is chock full of good advice. So where could someone find it? So neverunfriended.com, you can feel free to start there, but it will be everywhere on Amazon and Lifeway and Barnes and Noble and Dayspring and hopefully in your local bookstore too. <laughs> and then where would they find you online? LisaJoeBaker.com. I can't get over that you were the gypsy mama because I know, I know, right? We My have the gypsy wagon down the street from me and I just <laughs> always think of you and I see it. So. You were one you day, one day long ago. You can't be it anymore when you've like lived in the same place now for eight years. It's, so, it's weird to me. I'm a grown up. How did this happen? <laughs> you can't claim that title anymore. Well, thank you, Lisa Joe, so much for all of the truth that you just brought about friendship and this conversation that you're having. It's really good. Very good. Much needed. Thank you for letting me come and chat with you. I always feel like we could chat for ages. Days. Days. <laughs> right? So helpful and <laughs> unforgettable imagery. I don't know that we'll ever forget the dead body that we're carrying around when we aren't willing to forgive. So more goodness coming out of Lisa Joe, releasing July 23rd is her new book, The Middle Matters. And in it, more insight, personal stories, touching on topics you all face, body image, struggling with faith doubts, children's special learning needs, financial missteps, marriage meltdowns, always pointing you back to the beauty in these life lessons. She 
is talking about slowing down, savoring this midlife instead of trying to outrun it, seeing the day instead of always trying to seize the day, and how you can change your ordinary, paying attention to find the extra. And we're giving away a couple copies. Look out for it on Instagram this week, and you will see me post and make sure you enter to win to get those two copies. All right, I'm going to pray over us because I know when friendship comes up, hearts get stirred up and the enemy is all about division. So we want to pray a spirit of unity over everyone. Lord, I thank you for Lisa Joe. I thank you that she tackled this topic, that she always points back to you and your word and the truth of the Holy Spirit's work, that you do the reconciling. I pray for anyone listening who was stirred up with pain and fears of rejection, who's longing to reconcile but doesn't know how. I pray that you would give her wisdom and discernment to know when it's time to let go and trust you with that relationship, how to set up those boundaries, how to lean on you more, God, for the meat and potatoes and not um, rely on relationships that were never meant to fill us. We pray, God, that we can be with you and from the overflow pour into those around us. I pray for a spirit of unity to cover us as a church that we would not allow the enemy to use one of his favorite devices, division, to cause us to not come together. I pray, Lord, that these words would inspire forgiveness and a coming together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, speaking of coming together, don't forget, those sweet gals in Capel are hosting a Don't Mom Alone live event August 23rd. Here in Dallas, it's Capel, it's just north of Dallas, uh, 7 to 9 p.m. If you want more information, go to don'tmomalone.com forward slash live to get your tickets. Okay, hope you all have a great week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, While you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.